This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen Podcast. I'm Poonam Firma. On the show today, we find out about Chinese New Year at Hutong at DIFC and how they're going to be celebrating it. We also talk to a young entrepreneur about her new business, Mindful Munchies. We get top tips from Kripa Diwani, also known as the 15-Minute Mom. And pastry chef, Chef Romain from the Sofitel Dubai Blisk is bringing us some croissants, especially for croissant day. And finally, Samantha Wood, food diva, is filling us in with all the latest food news. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Now, if you celebrate Chinese New Year this February, it's just round the corner. It is the Year of the Dragon. And as they say in Chinese, I'm going to get in trouble for this, Gong He Fa Choi. Hope you like that. Just to get into the mood of Happy Chinese New Year, which is round the corner. If I'm correct, it's February the 10th. And it's interesting because when I had my TV show here many years ago, our whole crew was invited by the Hong Kong Tourism Board to spend 10 days and film around Hong Kong. And the focus was Chinese New Year celebrations. It was incredible. And one restaurant is actually bringing those celebrations to Dubai. It's called Hutong and it's based in DIFC. And joining me now is the general manager, Max, and the sous chef, Chef Hu. How are you both doing today? Pleasure to be here, and uh, we're uh, very uh, honored. Uh to be here on this uh, very famous radio and then to be on your show, Poonam. So, well, great Max, to be with you. bonjour, merci. Bonjour. And Chef Hugh, is it Ni Hao? Hey, hello. I'm <laughs> a, it's, a, it's a nice day. I'm coming here. Yeah, you're okay. So listen, first of all, Max, let me start with you. You're French. Please. So yes. what is the significance of Chinese New Year? What is the history that you've learned as a Frenchman working with Hutong? Hutong, for the last four years, has a chance that I've been there since uh, the pre-opening. The Chinese New Year is the time that we are waiting. It's more important for us than actually the regular New Year, I will say. That's the time that we can show our craft to the world Dubai, bring the people in through entertainment and whatever the chefs are crafting the best in terms of the dishes. You see, I'm trying to listen to you, but you know, it's, um, it's World Croissant Day next week and we're talking <laughs> about that. I feel like Max is on the wrong segment right now just because of your accent. But um, how much of the Chinese like traditions do you, have you learned working at Hutong? Because you must have had to learn a lot. I did actually learn a lot. I obviously, I will say, came a bit um, with my French arrogance that I do know everything <laughs> in the restaurant. Uh, but then I learned to really step back and uh, learn, uh, learn a lot through all different type, the different type of uh, cooking, from the ingredients to the way to make. It, it's totally unbelievable. It's a different world, the Chinese yeah. cuisine. And I still learn after four years. And I think I will learn for many, many more years again. Right, Chef Hu, yeah. you're originally from China. Your granddad was a very famous chef in Shanghai. So yes. I'm assuming, did he inspire you to follow the chef's career? Yes, of course. So what was it like celebrating Chinese New Year in China as a child? Mm, what yes. happens? Chinese New Year in China is, uh, is very uh, good, special mistake in uh, China. I have the... Uh, the house, the family, all together eating, 
or together singing or together playing the games is a is a very good uh, time in in his one year. Is one year. So when I went to Hong Kong, I want to compare some notes because I know you're going to have a couple of things going on at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, family get together is a big thing, right? So that we know this. Tell me about the red envelopes for the kids because that was a big thing when I was in Hong Kong. Is it like good luck to put money in the red envelopes? Did you have that when you were a child chef? Who? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> yes, actually, they they did have it, and uh, we do reproduce it each and every year in Utong. Will there that, be some money in red envelopes for the kids at Hutong? I'm there just checking. Will be, there will really? be something for the kids. I don't know if it was money, but the fact is just to give value and then uh, just to bless them by giving them something. That's M- the time. M- money is a good thing. Or a discount <laughs> off the restaurant. Okay. Now, another thing which I think you have is called the wishing tree. Now, when we went there, mm-hmm. they said to me, you have like a ribbon tied around a little tangerine or an orange, and we had to throw it in a tree and it landed in the tree and we had to write our wishes is this the same it is almost the same but we had to stop uh, to tidy it uh, with an orange and then to drop it because that was too dangerous for all the guests around so we are just <laughs> yeah, making it true. we just have to make it a little bit differently here where actually you have to hang it actually the highest as possible on the tree which will make eventually your dream come true it's, it's true they said you've got to throw it as high as you can and it has to land on the tree exactly. but I have to say that wish hasn't come true and that was like 10 years <laughs> ago <laughs> so Chinese New Year is around the corner so feel free to come in Utong and try again did, did you used to do that Chefie when you are in China did you used to throw it on the tree the little tangerine yeah I, I tried it I tried it and, 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 and you tried it did any wishes come true for you I, I think he is okay but no he came in Dubai working Utong was maybe that, that was his dream <laughs> So I remember as well, one thing, there were dragons going in and out of businesses and stores and uh-huh. on the streets and everything. They were incredible. The way they danced, it, it, I don't know how they did it in those suits. So you've got dragons because it is the year of the dragon. So It I- is indeed. Uh, that and many other uh, amazing uh, calligraphy we will have from Lion Dance, Changing Mask. We have a few entertainment going on and all amazing more than the other. So, so, so how many days, when does it start that you're going to be celebrating Chinese New Year's at Hutong? One, one week. One week and uh, we are starting the ninth evening. As mm. you uh, uh, mentioned earlier, you're right, it's actually starting on the 10th, mm. but then the Chinese community, and this is also what we learned uh, through our uh, Hutong in Hong Kong, mm. uh, that people start to go out from the ninth evening. Do you guys know what you are in the Chinese New Year? I'm a boar. B-O-A-R. What are you? Do you know? Yes, I know. I do know that I'm a monkey. Oh, I can see yeah. that. I <laughs> can see something. that. Chef Hu, what are you? Chicken. You're a chicken. I'm <laughs> oh, so cute. That chicken's cute. But it's the year of the dragon. Do we know what the year of the dragon means? Because they're very powerful animals. Mm. Does it? Do we know? It's the dragon king, actually, for this year. is the dragon king, and uh, that will be a blue dragon, which is actually the celebration of that. But he's all the strength that the strength that is coming ahead and that that we will try to craft through the dishes that has been made actually from the chef the strength on flavor the strength in terms of the taste this is what uh, you will get when you will come in a tomb. So when I think of a dragon, I think of fire coming out the mouth. There's going to be mm-hmm. some fire effects. I mean, health and safety needs to be considered. But <laughs> 100%. We won't go against the municipality. But we do have, we do have actually, yes, uh, we will have some flame coming on, on the dish. Uh, so you will find I- not only the fire and the occasionally fury in your mouth, but then in your eyes as well. Right. So we're going to talk about the food and the restaurant coming mm-hmm. up. But I just want to check. <laughs> 
Is it true that on New Year's, Chinese New Year's, it's bad luck to sweep the floor on New Year's Day at your home? Is it bad luck? I did read this. They said you shouldn't sweep the floor on New Year's Day. It is indeed. It is indeed. I didn't know that before. I so, you, so basically, true. you're telling me if I come on the 10th, <laughs> the floor's going to be dirty at Hutong. <laughs> uh, we will make sure that until the 9th, until 11.59pm, <laughs> we are making clean as possible I love it. to go around. I love it. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. So we're talking Chinese New Year round the corner. I have Max and I have a sous chef Hu, who are both from Hutong here. Now, am I saying it right? Right. Yes. You say it. Happy New Year, menu. Say Happy New Year in Chinese. It's Happy New Year in Chinese. No, no, no. I'm talking? Yes. In, in Chinese. How, How do you, you say it in Chinese? That's totally is- different to mine. What are you talking about? I told. I thought it was going to go fat choy. After four years, I'm see. I'm hearing it in a different way anyway. I so give up. Yeah. I give up. Ten <laughs> Don't days, do not do not. Ten please. days in Hong Kong, I tried to perfect that, and it's totally completely different. <laughs> okay, forget that. Let's talk about the food now. What are the traditional foods that we will see on the actual menu, both of you? Uh, we have lots of uh, Happy New Year di- dishes in Hutong, such as uh, Lao Hei Lobster, Beijing Yolk Duck. What is that? Lahu. Lao Hei Lobster is... Uh, a lobster. Uh, lobster. Lao Hei Lobster. So everyone can make it, can eat it, use the top chicks. Chopsticks. Uh, chopsticks. Uh, mix the dishes in the high, in the high, Lao, together make it. So yeah. you're making it yourself, like you all come together to mix it? Uh... Together mix it. So it's, uh, it means after you eat it, yeah, in Chinese it means health, good lucky uh, for your one year. Oh, okay. I'll have as much luck as possible, please. <laughs> okay. What else is good luck for us to eat? What else is on the menu? I think the flaming Peking duck that will be there. Oh, yeah. Duck's a massive thing for New Year's. Uh, Beijing duck is a popular uh, delicious in China in New Year. Okay. Do you have like the typical fortune cookies? Alors, maybe we will teach you something which is actually fortune cookies are not Chinese. Yeah, tell me about them. So, it, where did they come from? They are come from America. What? They, it's uh, a westernized thing. Here it is, here it is. And actually, I will, I will tell you a secret, which is actually, I did propose to do the fortune cookies a few years ago. And I can tell you the reaction of my boss saying, what wow. is that? So, yes, so no fortune cookies, but some red envelope, great food, great service, great entertainment. So I know that um, Hutong's been around 20 years in Hong Kong. How has the restaurant evolved since there? Like, do they have other branches apart from in Dubai? Yes, actually, from 20 years ago, we were blessed to expand through London in the Shard. We have it in New York, Miami. And since the last wow. four years here in Dubai, where we are blessed enough to be actually elected the two times the best Chinese restaurant. What makes okay. it stand out? What do you think? The traditional and authentic food, as much as we are not only a Chinese restaurant, but we are very much focused within the northern China. So the Guangzhou, the Sichuan. And that's the reason why our chef Wu or our head chef Ren are actually coming from the re- mm. from that region. And as you can hear, 
from Chef Wu, this is the most traditional and authentic that you could have here in Dubai. And I think that's very much what makes us to stand out. So if we come during Chinese New Year, should we be wearing red or a particular color or does it not matter? Is it good luck to wear red? Red will be the great color to wear, yeah. yes. What are you guys it, wearing? It, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have some party red on me, but uh, definitely that will be red or blue because one more time, this is uh, the, the blue king. Dragon. Uh, here we go. The blue dragon. I need to look into that. King. We need to all research actually after the show. What's the good luck for the year of the dragon for us, our particular animal sign? Do you know? To, I do not know, actually, you but know. I, I'm curious now to yeah. see for the monkey. I was going to do it beforehand, but then I thought, no, we don't have enough time. We'll have a look. I love all that kind I of stuff. I love that, yes. Right, Chef Hu, Max, yes. it has been an absolute pleasure, and I wish you a happy new year. Kong Fa Choi. Kong Fa Choi. Kong Fa I have a last one just before we yeah. go. Will you also respect the Chinese New Year tradition and not wipe your floor? I'll tell my maid not to wipe ah. the floor. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Now, we love our foodie startups, and these days entrepreneurs are getting younger by the minute. I don't know how they do it. And one of them is in the studio with me now. Akanchka Amnira is the founder of Mindful Munchies. I met her about three or four years ago when she was baking a cookie, and she, she gave me a bite, and then she doesn't remember me, but it's fine. She's made it up for it because she's given me a whole three-tier layer of Mindful Munchies. How are you doing, Akanchka? I'm amazing, Poonam. Thank you for having me here today. Now, when I saw you, you were going to um, Spain to study what? Hospitality. So I've graduated last year. And you studied for how many years in Marbella? Three years. Okay. <laughs> so Mommy Lena is here as well. Now, I know Lena as well. Now, Lena, let me just tell you something. When I went to Spain in my 20s, I remember I, I, I came from Birmingham. It's not much choice when it comes to good looking men. And um, I was in Spain and I was like, I've never seen so many handsome men. So I called my mom. You know, I was a hyper 20 year old. I said, Mom, I think I might have to marry a Spanish guy. They're so handsome. And you know what she said to me? She said, Poonam, it doesn't matter what a man looks like, what language would they speak, what country they're from. They all say the same thing. So literally, hormones calmed down, left Spain with no Spanish husband. <laughs> so how was your time? How was your time in Marbella? It was amazing. It was a great learning experience. And uh, I mean, I graduated feeling something that I was not three years before that. So I was a COVID, COVID um Student. individual. Yeah. I went into university when everything was like basically shutting down. So it was different. I transitioned from the COVID era to the non-COVID era. <laughs> so I've experienced everything in university life that I'm supposed to. So here I am. I'm working at Burj, actually. You're working at the Burj Al Arab. <laughs> yeah, Tell me what you're doing there. Uh, that's my view from here. I'm in the finance department. Okay, so... Yeah. But okay, so you studied business and food, like did this whole university encompass everything? Yes. So uh, when you break it down, it's seven semesters. So the first is all F&B related, service related, guest relations. Mm. And then you go and put that into practical use. So I interned in Doha in Ritz-Carlton, where I took all my theoretical knowledge into practical knowledge. Then we go back, uh, we started learning everything related to hotels in general, like room service and front office, all of that. Then comes your specialization. So I've actually graduated with a specialization in entrepreneurship. Amazing. Yeah, that's our last uh, last year. 
And I mean, finance is what I took. And that's why I got an opportunity to work in Burj. So I'm here. So does mom get afternoon tea there regularly? No, but we get a lot of Jumeirah discounts. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be benefits somehow. So where did baking start from? Because you've been doing this a while and a lot of kids, my niece loves baking, but you're taking to the next level where you're starting your own company, Mindful Munchies. So how are you finding the time to do that and do your full-time job at the Burj? So it's a 24-hour job. <laughs> That's an entrepreneur's life. Yeah. So baking actually started when I was nine. That was in my mind. I was mentally preparing. I loved the whole experience. I physically started baking when I was 13, mm. when I had an oven after so many years of asking for one. So it's it's been theoretical knowledge from year nine until I was 13, because yeah. it was YouTube. I have never gone for a professional course ever in my life. So YouTube has been my backbone when it comes to this. And of course, my mom's my guinea pig. So I've been, <laughs> I've been feeding her. So, so Lena, the calories, how many have you put on since being the guinea pig? <laughs> so I decide whether if, if I, I get the baking smell, then I decide that I'm not eating anything but just the cakes and the cookies, you know. So that's how I managed the calories. Did you, did, you, did you used to bake though? Did you learn it from you? I, I'm very passionate about cooking. Um, but baking was not very specific to yeah. my uh, interest. But cooking for me, like I always used to, you know, say that I, I cook with my mind. You know, I kind of think about it. So I guess that's something which she kind of picked up as well that, yeah, I want to think about how somebody feels about food. Nice. So I guess that's, uh, but pastry is something which she kind of picked up and that's something has been there in her a lot of inspirations from people around her, I guess. So So with Mindful Munchies, I'm looking at them now. You've got an assortment you've sent me here, four or five different things. But are they healthy? Because the word mindful is at the beginning. Yes. Why, why did you want to go down the healthy route? Because, uh, I mean, first I would say that health is, it should be a lifestyle. It shouldn't be like, oh my God, you're being healthy. And then it's like, oh, you don't have taste, you don't have flavors, you don't, you, you crave so much and then you can't have it just because you have to be healthy. So I discovered that I had a lot of allergies last year. So we, we've, I range from gluten intolerance to kind of having soy, corn, sugar. Uh, so I wanted to incorporate and tell people that you can eat healthy stuff and it can taste exactly the same as regular desserts, but it's good for your gut. This, that's a big thing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So let's say they're not, there's no sugar in there. What's in there to add the sweetness? So um, honey is one preference. But as we have vegan as our, we have a vegan menu as well. So mm. we range from monk fruit to organic stevia, which is sourced from India. Yes. Nothing artificial, not, nothing which is synthetic. Everything is organic. All the products used are organic, gluten-free. So... There's nothing which is going to react with the gut health and like create a bad gut barrier. So I can I can basically eat 30 of these pieces. Well, obviously, I'll share them with the rest of them. So you're <laughs> saying my gut will be fine. What flavors, what kind of uh, yeah flavors and kind of pastries do you make? Let us know. So what, we know what's on the menu. So we have, um, so there, there are multiple things. So we have a vegan menu, a keto menu, healthy something which is an Indian Western twist where I have like Indian flavors, but maybe something like a masala chai uh, chocolate mousse, mousse, which is one of the things which is on there. And uh, a cappuccino uh, cheesecake, which is another thing. 
we have couple of cookies, healthy healthy cakes, uh, macaroons, which is keto friendly. So th- these aren't easy things to make and just, you know, it, they take time. You have to get the whisking right, the flavors right. So we, how can people order it, first of all? Where's the, what's the website or what's the Instagram page? So our website is going to launch by the end of this month. And Instagram is Mindful Munchies on Instagram. But it's underscore first yes. and Mindful Munchies. Yes. Right, on Instagram. Now, if anybody wants to know more, just text me the word Munchies and I'll send you the information. Um, so... When making these and it can't, we, people are ordering them, how many could you be making a week whilst working full time? Um, I mean, it's, it's my passion. Food is my passion. So I've had a time when I did a test run for six months before I went to uni. And we had actually served around 400 customers within wow. six months. So that, I mean, looping it back, that, that's what got me into the thing that I want to do entrepreneurship as my specialization because it was a pretty good hit. But we were not looking into the health side that much. That just developed yeah. over the past two years. I think, I think just to add to what, you sh- what she's saying is um, over committing and under delivering is something we don't want to do, which she doesn't want to do, of course. So uh, to answer your question that how many could you do in a week? It, it's basically staggered as well. So if you have too many requirements coming in from the client, uh, from customers want to, you know, then we kind of stagger it, make our commitments very clear that it will take a day or it'll, it'll happen in 48 hours yeah. or 72 hours. Because specifically pastries, it's, this is my observation because I see her baking every time. She's so passionate about it that you want to pick every ingredient to the tea. It's unlike hot kitchen yeah. that you can just kind of, Everything if something has to goes be wrong, measured. yeah, everything has to be so much yeah. measured. Yeah. That's what the that defines the outcome. So, yeah, I, I think that's typically what she does is, OK, if you have a requirement coming in, she understands what the requirement, what's the urgency of it, what's the occasion. So prioritization becomes one of the key things which she works on, which is what I've seen her planning. What about the future? I mean, do you want to see these in stores and supermarkets? Is that your plan? Supermarkets, no, but do I want to have my own place? Yes. Uh, <laughs> we're going bigger. We're going bigger. You want your own place. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so I think it's great that you have a background in entrepreneurship because a lot of creative people, they don't actually have that. Mm-hmm. So any message, any word of advice for anyone who's in a position where they love cooking, they love baking, but a top two or three tips you'd give when it comes to thinking about opening a business like this? Uh, everyone should have a mom like mine because she's my backbone. <laughs> okay, Lena, give them your email address. Everybody can contact you because she, she's very good. She's very business savvy. I've even asked her for advice. Okay, well, listen, you, you can find uh, these munchies at on Instagram at underscore mindful munchies. Uh, Lena and Akanshka, mommy, daughter, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Now, cooking for kids and families never end. And yes, it's very easy just to order in, especially here in the UAE. But that's not always the healthiest option. So with me now is Kripa Devani, also known as the 15-minute mom. She's an expert in nutrition science. Um, but by day, she is a family coach. And as a mom of three, she's here to give us her top tips when it comes to sneaking in those healthy veggies and nutrients into your kids' foods. Welcome, 15-minute mom. How are you doing? I'm good. 
thank you. We're going to keep you on longer than 15 minutes. So, oh, okay. so that's good. <laughs> so I just found out that you know a really good friend of mine from university. So you were born and brought up in Portugal. That's correct. Lived in London and now you're settled here in Dubai? That's correct, yes. What age did you leave Portugal? Uh, 25, actually. So where about in Portugal? I was uh, born and brought up in Lisbon and educated there as well. And then I met a very handsome, charming man that took me to the UK. And that's where I had my three children. But pretty much most of my life, 25 years of my life in Portugal. It's interesting because I don't know any... You're the first Indian that I know who's actually grown up back in the day in Portugal. Mm. So when you were growing up in Lisbon, was it, I'm assuming, a lot of seafood, fresh food... Or was there a lot of imported and exported food? Okay, so the irony of the situation is that we were brought up vegetarian in the most beautiful coastal country. Oh. Um, as a part of your culture. A part of the culture, yes, absolutely. And um, we didn't experience all that beautiful food back then. But the produce in Portugal is primarily organic. Yeah. And still is. A lot of it is still very much organic. Um, so it's a largely agricultural country. Mm. So a lot of the produce is made within the country. And um, it's interesting because when we go back and when the children go back, you can really taste the difference. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. Now, tell me what you do as a family coach. Okay. So there's a, a few um, sort of branches out, uh, out of the the concept of being a family coach. Um, I work with families with this concept called uh, Family Forum. Mm. And I introduce this, um, what I like to call a, a new ritual within the family. And this is um, a great way of opening lines of communication from a very young age. So it's tapping into the children's emotional intelligence, being able to articulate their emotions in a safe space with their parents, but in a very non-judgmental um you know, we as parents have this tendency of giving an opinion or trying to fix things for our children. So the structure is designed so that parents are there in sort of the same equal positioning as the children. And they are there as listeners and not as advice givers. <laughs> How old are your kids? Uh, so I have three. I have a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old tomorrow, and a six-year-old. So I, yeah, your 13-year-old is probably close enough in age to my 17-year-old niece. And she has her own mind. It's like, I know that if my mom gave me advice, I'd, I'd listen to it. Whereas my niece thinks she knows everything. And I don't know, this, these generation of kids, they're quite firm in the thinking. It's hard to sway them in many ways. Absolutely. But how can we blame them? This is what we're trying to give them. Resilience. We're trying to make them independent. And then when they turn back around at us with all that independence, we then, oh, okay, hold on. <laughs> what do yeah. we do with all this, right? Um, so, yes, uh, these are great qualities in children, I think. And it's managing it in a way that taps into the emotion of the child rather than trying to, as a parent, always, you know, intervene or tell them. It, language is, first of all, the most important thing when yeah. it comes to um, children in general, even with food. And the tone. The tone. The tone oh my, God. my mom can say my name in 10 different tones oh, and yes. I know what they mean. <laughs> We know when the full name comes out, you're in trouble. <laughs> exactly. So with this emotional intelligence that you're learning, how does that link to when it comes to food, nutrients, nutrition, keeping them healthy? How have you intertwined those? Again, it's also very much down to language. So if we start with a very young um, age range, uh, children tend to be what we call picky eaters and some more than others. And it's often difficult to entice a child to eat something you know as a parent that mm. is 
you know, high in nutrition, good for them. Um, and then we end up succumbing to the options that are probably not as nutritious. Um, so language is really important, but also understanding the psychology of the child. So I always like to give this analogy. In, in our, us adult life, probably the most crucial, stressful moment of the day is that morning when we need to get them out of the house in time, beat that traffic because those five minutes are going to make the difference, especially now in Dubai, and get them to school and then get to work or wherever we need to be. In their world, the most crucial thing is the color of the cup. Oh my goodness, you're so right. Right? Yeah. That is their realm. And we underestimate that ability yeah. of the child to process information. So we, we, we all have um, you know, development stages. And the brain development stage um, for a fully developed brain is at 25 no Imagine. way. Absolutely. God, we've been stupid for a long time. Now, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's why we make all these wonderful mistakes when we're teenagers. And our, um, so for a child um, to be able to process that information and not turn around and make a tantrum because they wanted the blue cup, not the yellow cup, is actually very normal in their space, in their mind space. But, it, but it's so difficult. Let's say if you're a mom or a dad in the morning and you're stressed and you're getting ready and they want, I want the blue cup, you're like, it's in the dishwasher. It's, it, it, it's hard to stay calm. It's very hard to stay calm. So one of the key things that I work with families is, is learning how to empathize in that situation. And it's actually hard work, having said that. It's not something that can innately come to people and um, but it is quite logical and intuitive. So, But, but let me just stop you there. What about that bit where let's say I, I'm a kid and I want a blue cup. He said, no, you have to have the yellow. You also have to teach them they can't have everything they want to. 100%. 100%. But at that moment, that precise moment where the tantrum is ready to come, we need to outweigh, right, what is the outcome I want right now? Mm. Do I really want to educate my child in this exact instant? <laughs> a court to nine before school. Yeah, that you're not going to get what you want. <laughs> or do you want to choose that battle and have that conversation a little bit later and have that child at school on time and you back to your routine. Mm. What are some other challenges that you had when it came to making sure that your kids are right? Because like you say, children are picky. Um, I, I remember, I, I don't remember being picky about anything. I, I pretty much eat everything. And I think growing up in an Indian family in a Western world, we had a mixture of all kinds of food. So we were used to it, whether it was spicy, whether it was herbs, mm. whatever, fish and chips, you know, you, yes. Um, and one of the things I remember, I always remember this, and I still do it to this day. My mom, when my baby brother was born and he started eating, she'd mash broccoli, carrots and potatoes, mash it properly, add butter. So he just thunk, thought he was eating potatoes. And I was like a little rat on the side. Anything he didn't finish, I must have been seven, I would finish it. To this day, I love mashing my vegetables oh, like that. You were mom's dream. And I was my mom's <laughs> dream. I hope I still am. I'm not sure. But yeah, so it, my mom used to do things like that. And and. It's about hiding what's in the food, I suppose, because a lot of kids go through different stages. Yes, it is. I think, again, it's choosing your battles. Um, what is the end outcome? You want your child to get that nutrition. You want those vegetables to get into your child. So if your child is not going to eat that piece of broccoli in its intact form, that little mini tree, we call them sometimes, um, then by all means, hide it. Hide it in the food. They're still getting the nutrition. They're enjoying their food because at the end of the day, what you don't want to build is resentment towards that food. When yeah. you start having that battle, 
there will come a point where your child will not touch that food. So you, you, this is interesting. My uh, friend to this day cannot look at mashed potatoes because her teacher would force her to eat exactly. it. And that's the thing that, that can affect a child as, as an adult. Yes, as, absolutely. And so I always say, persist, don't insist. Oh, I like that. So keep going. Take it in another form. Maybe put some batter around it. Stick mm. it in the air fryer. Get your vegetable in whichever way your child prefers. And if they don't like it, try again a little bit later. Okay, well, now if you have any uh, questions about your kids and eating habits, you can text us on 4001 Kripa here. The 15-Minute Mom is going to help answer all your questions. I'm going to talk about some tips and tricks and some recipes next. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. So we're finding out how to sneak in those healthy veggies and nutrients into your kids' food, especially if they're very picky. I'm talking to Kripa Divani. She's an expert in nutrition science. She's also a family coach, and she's giving us top tips. And she's also known as the 15-Minute Mom on Instagram, where she gives us loads of tips. Now, any top tips for moms and dads listening right now that you can share with us when it comes to these picky eaters, the kids? Yeah, so I think um, one of the top tips I can give is making food fun. The whole, um, you know, battle that we were we already, we're picking a lot of battles throughout the day. And a lot of the time we're living with things like mom guilt and we're trying our best. So that's one thing that I always say, please leave the mom guilt aside. Make things fun. And you know what I remember always when I was a kid being fun? The curly whirly straws. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Exactly. And that stays with me to this day. Exactly, exactly. So I'm going to give you an example. My six-year-old, um, this was about two, three years ago. So he was, um, you know, four, uh, around four. He was very picky. And my girls obviously were, you know, already a little bit older, eating wetter. And so we made up this game. And it had to be in the language of he's a boy. So it had to be fun for him. And it was called the yucky food challenge. Okay. Okay. So we made a poster that started off with 10 yucky foods that he would never touch. Mm-hmm. And the game was me and him would have to try the yucky food and rate it from one to five. And asparagus you, you was You have one. a lot of patience. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a teaching background. Okay. <laughs> so um, this was hilarious because it started off with 10 items, ended up with 100 items because he got so enthusiastic about adding random things that he'd hear or pick up from school or, you know, uh, foods that he would go and look up, you know, look up. And it was really interesting because asparagus, which is one that I think most children would think is a yucky vegetable, um, he rated three. And the next time we ever saw asparagus, there wasn't this horror, you know, uh, towards uh, towards that vegetable. Um, We tried things like sesame seeds. So it became a fun game. So I always say, you know, playing around food. The other tip I can give is using food knowledge. So I used to have a lot of play dates at home, um, as, you know, most moms do. And this child came home and didn't like blueberries. And I was in shock. Which child does not like blueberries, right? And so I played a game with him and I said, do you know what? Your tongue is going to go blue if you eat this magic ball. It wasn't a blueberry. It was a magic ball. The kid's like, no. I'm like, yeah, I'm telling you. Don't, don't tell your mom. He tried a, whole, he tried a whole load of them, went to the bathroom. Fair enough, his tongue had gone purpley blue. Mm. That's it. That was the start. His, it's so funny because his mom still calls me and says, thanks to you, my child <laughs> eats blueberries. So it's kind of making up these stories. It does take energy. It, it does. does take creativity. But children do. And also there are days where we don't have that patience, but then let go. 
So on your Instagram, what will people find? Do you put recipes up as well? I do. So my Instagram is to motivate parents, motivate moms, but it's somehow become also a great motivational platform for um, university students. So anybody that wants to cook from scratch, healthy, but in 15 minutes. So all recipes, the idea is them being very quick, made in 15 minutes with ingredients that you can hopefully get in your local Carrefour or Tesco. And um, it is all about making life easy. So I want to know, we've had a few texts in and Sarah says, my two-year-old is currently going through a phase where she grabs the small butter packages at restaurants, literally eats the whole lot. They're only small. (laughs) Is she lacking something where, why she's craving butter? Is there something that or will she get over it? It's just a phase. Um, it can be a phase, but it, calls, it, it I think sometimes children do things to call for attention as well. So is there anything underlined? Is it because it triggers an emotion in the mom or does the mom tell her off about that? So now often it can be associated to, to that emotion. But funny, my child used to do that too and has grown out of it. So it is something they can yeah. easily grow out of. And they do change from kids. Like you get so stressed thinking they're not eating veggies. And then suddenly when they get to I know my niece, she's hyper healthy now. And maybe it's because she's growing into a teenager. So it just changes. It so I think our stress makes them stress too. 100%. Yes. And again, it makes that situation repeat itself more often. Mm. So it's not bringing so much attention to it and possibly could be a solution. But also understanding that maybe it is either an attention seeking um, situation or genuinely the child's enjoying butter and, you know, a little bit of saturated yeah. fat is not going to kill the child. I, well, my motto is listen to your body. That's what I've yes. always done, which, yes. which is why I look the way I do probably. <laughs> now, how do I combat sugar cravings? This is from Rhea. She says, my six-year-old always has to have something sweet after school and I assume it's because she's tired and needs some energy. Now, I get that. I used to, as soon as I'd get home mm. from school, my mum would make us food because we were tired and hungry. Yeah. But when it comes to sweet stuff, how can we replace that? What can we do? Okay, so before going into the replacement, I'm going to, I have the same issue, of course, Um, we we all go through it. And I play a little game with my children. For every sweet thing they need to have, they need to have one glass of water first. I should do that as well. So when we go to, for example, you know, the chains of cafe chains where all that you see is cakes and pastries and all those goody things, we have this game where you have to have a glass of water. What this does is it satiates them a little bit because they are also thirsty, often thirst. Thirst, uh, thirst and hunger are, um, you know, interlinked or confused. And you know, I didn't know this. And when I found this out, I actually lost weight because I realized I was snacking rather than knowing I was hydrated. Yes, yes. And then their bellies are little. After having that one yeah. glass of water, they're already half full. Then you do give them something sweet because it's very hard to say no immediately for a lot of parents. Mm. I tend to have vegetable sticks in my in my bag and say, we're going to go for the treat. But in the meanwhile, have this. And if they're really hungry... They will have cucumbers or apples or, or celery sticks or whatever your child likes in, in form of veggie sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of science behind vegetables before carbohydrates. I've heard this as yes, well. Yeah. In terms of you know, insulin regulation. But um, if they have that glass of water, the, the, the tendency of eating that whole muffin is probably halfened. They're probably going to manage half the muffin, which is what I used to see. And eventually they might just go off the idea. Um, but slowly, slow, slow steps. Amazing. So how can people contact you if they want some tips, advice, or want to come and see you as a coach? Um, so I'm not currently uh, coaching as a nutritionist as such, uh, but I give a lot of free advice on my Instagram. My, inst- 
My Instagram. She does. Her, her Instagram is amazing. Tell everybody where, what it's called. It's called 15 Minute Mom. So 15 Min underscore Mom, the American way. And that's a joke because I sound American and I'm not American. <laughs> yeah. And she's got some great tips there. And she's got, you've got a great following. So you will, I was watching it today, getting some tips off her as well. But Kripa, thank you so much uh, for coming in. And I'm sure we'll get you in again soon. Thank you. And um, I will drink the water every time I have a dessert. You, I, I've got a whole tray of desserts here. Perfect. A lot of water is on the way. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Uh, my next guest has also brought me in some amazing pastries. Thank God for stretchy dresses and stretchy waistcoats and elasticated trousers. Um, Chef Romain is from the Sofitel Dubai, the Oblisk. I haven't seen him for about a year. He's the executive pastry chef. How are you, chef? Been a while. Yes, it's been a while. and very well, thank you. And all these pastries are made by you and your team? Exactly. Fresh yes. this morning? Fresh this morning. Uh, so w- where are you from again? I'm from France. Where about, though? Uh, around Paris. Around Paris. Yeah, I prefer a Frenchman making me uh, croissants because I remember... Um, Years ago, I was in the south of France, um, and it was when I could stay up late. I was in a nightclub till 5 a.m., and as I walked out the nightclub back in the day, I could smell fresh croissants being made. I still can't forget it, and it was a small bakery, and they were all making it in the morning. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to smell that again when we come to the Oblisk, because there's a special event taking place, right, in honour of the croissant. Yes, yes. We are preparing a special event next week on Tuesday uh, where we're going to have uh, a lot of people to, to enjoy a kind of masterclass, you know, to, to, to see how we can do a croissant, like the, you know, the, the, the base of the dough and the rollings and see the layering and see exactly how we can get this, uh, this crispy and, and beautiful layers and light uh, of the croissant. Now, a qu- you can't be a good croissant, but let's talk about this. Is there a possibility of ever having a healthy, low-calorie croissant, or is that just never going to happen on this planet? No, I don't no. think so. No, 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 no. no, no. Okay, no, but, so we'll scrap it. Magic. We'll, we'll, we'll scrap it. You just just do some workout afterwards. Okay, let's let, let me talk about the masterclass because um, you can get ready-made croissant doughs and put them in the oven. I can assume that's just a no-no for you. No, no, no. So. Can you basically teach me what is the dough we use? What's the flour we use? How much butter? Because it's not difficult, but I suppose it's getting the actual texture right. Yes. So, of course, you need to have the right ingredients. So the best, the best uh, flour and strong in gluten, mm-hmm. of course. And you need to have the best butter. And uh, What is you... the best butter in your opinion? So the best butter, uh, I mean... French? Can... <laughs> <laughs> I, I will not, not say no. I will yeah. not say no. But no, but the humidity, uh, the, the, ah, the, the humidity, less humidity in your butter, basically, yeah. that's going to get the best uh, result. And, um, and yes, and after that, when you get the right, uh, the right ingredients, you just have to respect the right recipe and take your time. So um, is it an actual competition, this event that's taking place in honor of Croissant Day? No, it's not. It's not a competition, but... So what's actually going to be happening at the Abyss? So what's going to happen? We're going to launch uh, a Sofitel new concept, which is called the Hot Croissantery. We want to elevate the croissant, to put a superb experience for the guests at the Sofitel d'Obelisk, as well at the Bijou Patisserie in the lobby. So it's going to be a it's completely new, new, new concept. And uh, you're going to have live station for uh, live station in the, in the breakfast, for example, where you're going to have your croissant finished front of you with a decoration, with a filling inside, wow. and a pure butter croissant in like 
you know, the 60 grams, pure, big croissant, fresh, hot, crispy in front of you. So that's going to happen in Softail Dobelisk. And on the, the next week, Tuesday, you're going to have a master class with how to make a croissant. You're going to know how to make a croissant after that. Right. And you're going you're gonna to be able to try one of the best selections we're going to have in the hotel. So in the mini version, of course. When is this masterclass? I actually am tempted to come, to be honest with you. This, I <laughs> think this would be fun. What, what time is it and how do you register? Uh, I'm going to give you all of that. You're so going to give me that no, after no Yes. So it's going to start at 11 o'clock on Tuesday. And, uh, and on, on the special event, because it's the World Cross Sunday on Tuesday next week, mm. we're going to offer to the first 60 guests who come to Bijou Patisserie a free pure beurre croissant 60 grams. That's why 60. Why 60? Yeah. Because this year is the 60th anniversary of Sofitel. Oh, wow. Yep. Many happy but happy anniversary to you all, yeah. 60 years. You're looking good for your age. So what you've just delivered a whole bunch of croissants. Are there different flavors that you are coming up with for this special yes, occasion? Yes, there are. There are many, many uh, flavors. So there is some savory, there is some sweet. Uh, of course, there is a classic one, the, the pure beurre. And, uh, and the, the very, very, very important things on that is we create croissant with, you know, in Sofitel, we want to make the link between the French culture and the local product. And in Dubai, we are lucky because there is, there is a product to uh, grow locally. So, for example, I have one. It's almond, raspberry from Dubai with the rose water. So you have a little bit of link, you know, a fresh croissant with yeah. product from Dubai and with a little bit of flavor from the Middle East. And we have another one, for example, it's uh, a savory one with uh, avocado cream mm. and a goat cheese made in UAE. So, wow. yeah. That's what it is. I love putting savory things in my croissant and making them. So here's the thing. You can't wake up at 5 a.m. and go to a bakery and have hot croissants every day. When you have a croissant, what is the best way to heat it up just so there's a bit of warmth? Because people do put it in the microwave. No. (laughs) No, no, no way. No way. (laughs) He's Uh, like, no. No, 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 no. No, it's, It's the oven. It's the oven. And if you don't have a good oven at home, at least you have to take your time. So you you have to be like, not too high, like, I don't know, maybe 70 degrees. If you don't have a fan in the oven, you keep it, you know, gently in the oven, going back to life, getting back to crispiness and everything. But if you have a good oven, it's easy. It's just like five minutes. You put 160 degrees with the fan and it's good to go. So there's so m- how much butter is in an average croissant? An average croissant? It's between 30 to 35%. Yeah. And when I have a croissant, you know what I do? I heat it and then I cut it and I add more butter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is, is that okay to do? Of course it's okay. You know, I grew up with my mother doing that all the time. So, yes. Why are a lot of French people not extra heavy then if they're eating so much <laughs> croissants? I'm trying to be careful with my words. Because you're so slim. No, the butter is, is a good product. As long as, of course, you're not uh, eating one kg a day, I think it's okay. It's, okay. It's okay. How many croissants do you have in a week? Do you have one every day? No. no oh, no. that's where I'm going wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the French can do it, I can. No, uh, maybe every day a small one, you know, just to try if everything is okay. But on the weekend, yes. Do you have a special s- trick or ingredient or something that you do to make your croissant stand out from everybody else's that you can share or not share? No, I think we, we 
I'm, I'm not sure I can share. <laughs> but will you show me in the masterclass if I come? Yes. Oh, so I can yes, film it and yes. share it with everybody afterwards. <laughs> okay. What are the other pastries we can find at Bijou Patisserie? Is it all based around French pastries? Yes, all based on French pastry. And we have an afternoon tea as well. We have uh, pastry uh, on the spot, all takeaway. At the, at the moment, we have the Galette des Rois. I don't know if you know what is the Galette des Rois. It's the king's cake. No. So that's the January is the special month for the king's cake and yeah. it's almost over. But uh, it's uh, basically a puff pastry and almond cream. And inside you have a toy who's like hiding somewhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking you know, about. Right? Yeah. yeah. Do you come up with a lot of new pastries or do you stick to traditional French style pastries? No, no, no. Since it's been 10 years I'm in Dubai. So obviously my, my vision of the pastry get get different since then. And, uh, and no, of course, I'm... I'm I'm changing a little bit of pastry based on the region, based on the flavor of uh, of whether people like it, and uh, and no, yes, of course, it's it's a French base for sure, mm. but after we we trick a little bit with the region, definitely. Okay, so tell everybody again if they want to come to the masterclass, where it is, what time, how they register. This is the croissant masterclass. It's a croissant masterclass, and it's going to be on Tuesday. Start at eleven. There's going to be two sessions. You're gonna you just call the hotel. It's easy. And uh, and we're going to win a book, no problem. How long is each masterclass? It's going to be uh, one and a half hours. And then we eat yes. the hot croissant straight yes. from the oven. But the most important one is the 60 free croissants <laughs> on Tuesday. 60 yeah. free croissants? Yeah, the, f- the, the 60 first guest is going to get a free croissant, a beautiful croissant. Head to the Bliss, guys. Sofitel to buy the Bliss. Yes. And happy 60th birthday. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming in. Happy Thanks. croissant day. <laughs> This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. So we're going to find out what's happening in the world of food news here in the UAE, maybe even abroad, with the food diva herself. Samantha Wood is joining us. Samantha, why aren't you in the studio? Because I've got back-to-back meetings. Oh, I thought you would have put us as a priority, but I'll let you off. I know you're a busy, busy girl. Tell everybody what you actually do, because there's so much that you do, for those who don't know. I am, first and foremost, a restaurant reviewer. Are you, um, and uh, a food would, you, would you say you're a critic or a reviewer? <laughs> um, it's, it's up to you. It's interchangeable. I would say I am a restaurant critic. I am not a food critic. Even though my Instagram says food critic, yeah. that's because it doesn't give you an option for restaurant critic. And that's because I review the whole dining experience. Um, food is one component, but service, atmosphere, location, value for money, um, interior, they're all part of the same dining experience. Hence, restaurant rather than just food okay and go ahead yeah go ahead now and i also organize dining experiences so i'm an event organizer which actually takes up the bulk of my time these days so so what kind of um events do you organize i have a concept called three chefs dinner Actually, the next one is on the 5th of March. They're all um, culinary themed. So this one is modern Greek, which dovetails into my heritage. Yeah, because you're, be, you're Greek Cypriot, right? Half Greek Cypriot. Yeah, yeah, half Greek Cypriot, half British. Yeah. Lived, lived here for nearly 25 years. And um, I will be announcing the restaurant and the three chefs. So essentially, three chefs come into one restaurant, each cooking a different course. It's a ticketed event. People can sign up for it, and it typically sells out within hours. 
So I'm going live with it um, next week, actually. So, and it's on the 5th of March. So when you organize these events, do chefs come to you, say they have an idea, or do you source the events yourself? Uh, the chefs just Very, uh, Typically, it's me approaching restaurants and the chefs. So the key part is first coming up with the culinary theme. I've been running this particular concept since 2019, but I've been running dining experiences since 2015. Just different concepts. Um, But in this particular case, I finalize the culinary theme first, um, and then the venue, and then I bring in two other chefs to support the host chef. Um, based on different skill sets, bearing in mind that we need a pastry chef, obviously, as well, to look after desserts. Okay, um, so we're going to come back to you. Don't go anywhere, Miss Foodie Diva, Samantha Wood. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. So with us is Samantha Wood, a.k.a. Food Diva. You can find her on Instagram. Now, she is a food reviewer. Samantha, I just want to ask you a question. So I was once asked to, to go and review a movie because I had to interview quite a well-known director um, in the film festival, Dubai Film Festival, years ago. Oh. And I remember sitting there going, I don't know how to review a movie. I don't even know what I'm doing. It was, And then I had to interview him. It was the worst interview of my entire life, right, hands down. When you look today, I mean, you're a food reviewer. There are food influencers, bloggers. How do you know who to trust, who are credible? Well, I think firstly, you have to pay your own way. I have, and I've always had right from day one in 2011, a no freebies policy. So I do not accept invitations in return for restaurant reviews. Um, And that way you can go in anonymously, um, whether that's myself or whether it's guest reviewers. Now, there are some cases where I am recognized um, as time time went by and Fudiva um, got a lot more recognition. But um, as you still have to pay the bill. So I will always insist on paying the bill. Um, and, and that way you can write an honest opinion that, um, is trustworthy and, um, has credibility attached to it as well. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. Now, how often do you have to eat out for your job then? A week? Um, do you know, it's not, this is my own business. So I will eat out as often as I want to eat out. I typically, I'm very strict during the week. I have an exercise and healthy eating routine at home. And I will cheat and go out on weekends, which is when I tend to do my reviews. Okay. So when you're reviewing a restaurant, what is it that you're particularly looking for to give it a a good review? Well, um, as I mentioned earlier, and I'm not sure if it came across because of the connectivity issues, but I review on different parameters. So firstly, it's six parameters, actually. It's food, um, and that spans flavor, technique, quality of ingredients, and presentation. Mm. Secondly, service, location, interior, atmosphere, and value for money. And actually, they're all equally rated. I give a rating of one to five knives overall for that whole experience, because I think all of them are as important um, in determining whether you have a good experience or not. Because whilst the food could be very good, if the service lets you down, 
then you're not going to enjoy that experience or vice versa. Yeah, it's true. But if you're doing a review, do you actually enjoy the experience? Because it is really, you've got your work, your work head on too. It's not a, um, it's not a leisure experience, that's for sure. Oh, now, really? um, listen, I love what I do, but going out for a dinner review is very different on go and going out for a date night with my husband or yeah. girlfriend for, for dinner. It's, and I will tend to only review with my husband because he also has a good understanding of the dining experience. Mm. But that way, our conversation that night is not a date night. It is all about what is happening in that restaurant. Mm. Um, so it's, that's why I can't do it with friends that I haven't seen in a while because yeah. the conversation um, steers away from that. And obviously, naturally, you want to talk about other things. Have, have you ever have you ever done a review, obviously anonymously, or, you know, if they, eventually they find out it's you and it's been a bad review and they've had an issue with it? Because I know a few people here who have done that. <laughs> Hundred percent. I've been banned from restaurants. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> you should be there's proud a, of. There's quite. There's a couple of them. Um, it, it, I'm surprised you haven't heard of them actually. But if you do a little search, I'll tell you afterwards. But um, but here's the thing. Yeah. I I I do believe in being authentic, and it doesn't mean that you gave something a bad rating. I think it's bad. That was just your honest opinion, right? A hundred percent. And I always say that. Um, I am simply writing um, about my experience, or I guess it could be, actually, the the one where I was more recently banned back back in 2018 was actually a guest reviewer, Hmm. not me, but obviously I ran the review and take full responsibility for it. But um, it's about that experience at that given moment in time. And as we know, there is inconsistency in restaurants. So, and that, that's also why you have to review anonymously. Because if you're on an invitation mm. hosted by the PR, organized by the PR, of course that experience yeah. is going to be completely different. It's totally true. I remember, I mean, I, we get invited a lot to, you know, by PR people for the food show and everything. And I remember going to um, a very well-known chef. I think he won a Michelin star, actually. I won't say the restaurant, obviously. Um, and I didn't think the food was all that. It wasn't anything different or outstanding compared to another restaurant of a similar cuisine. But again, I didn't say anything. I'm not doing a review. I was just there enjoying it. Yeah. So I, I totally understand. It's the same etiquette. It's like when you go to a friend's house for dinner. You're yeah. being invited. So it, if you don't like everything, you're not going to say so. It's, mm. just, it's not polite. So it's simply impossible to write a review or call it a review mm. when you're on an invitation. And I won't read any any reviews that are based on invites. I simply delete. Now, I'm going to go through a list that yeah. you've handpicked, um, some homegrown restaurants, which is part of your annual guide to top Dubai restaurants. I'm going to do that after the news. But just briefly, before we um, just wrap this half an hour up, let's talk about credit card confirmations for restaurant reservations. Is that going to be across the board here, or do you think it needs to start more of? Well, it's interesting. I, um, I, I canvassed my following on Substack. I, I launched my, I moved my newsletter from MailChimp to Substack a few months ago, mm. where you have more of this community feel. And interestingly, so the question I asked is, um, do you welcome credit card confirmation for restaurants? Yeah. And um, 40% said yes, and the rest, 60%, said no, it puts them off booking. Um, so that that's that's not surprising, to be honest. But I think in the, in Europe, 
in the West, in, in Australia, it's a given um, that you will give a credit card to reserve your booking. I, I travel, not a lot, but I travel a little. And every time I book restaurants, um, I have to give a credit card for confirmation. Here, it's not as widely used by restaurants. Therefore, there's a lack of education in the market and a lack of willingness to accept that. Well, but you know what's interesting? Now, I've never done this and I would never do it. I know some people, they admitted it a couple of months ago, that they will ring three or four restaurants, we reserve the same night, the same time and decide, you know, a few hours before which one they want to go to. And, I, and I'm like, Why? Can't you just? I make, know. I, I don't agree with that. It's shocking! It's shocking! It's disrespectful. And it actually, is. what's worse as well, Poonam, is they won't even call to cancel. I know. So no shows. Percentage of no shows in this part of the world is a lot higher than anywhere else. Um, now, a lot of re- some restaurants are embracing this, and, mm. and I've had it a few times with um, more recently where credit cards are requested, and I think it's fantastic because it, it makes you think twice mm. and. There's a cancellation policy, so you have in some cases 24 or 48 hours to cancel without um, incurring any penalties. But, um, yeah, I think it's, um, it's still a long way off from becoming the norm here. It is. Well, don't go anywhere, Food Diva. We will be back with you with more food news. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. So, uh, Samantha, I want to go through some of your, um, you've basically published an annual guide to top Dubai restaurants, 45 concept homegrown restaurants. Now, you've been here, you said, how long, 20, 25 years? 25 years this summer, yes. And I've been here like 16, 17 years. And I mean, the, the way this culinary scene has changed is crazy because I remember it was, for me, it was mainly based around fancy hotels in big, you know, uh, restaurants in big hotels. But now my favorite restaurants are the local ones, the independent ones, the just like you're saying, the homegrown ones. What have you seen grown? A hundred percent. I mean, when I first arrived here, you had Gordon Ramsay and that was about it. Yeah. And then Pierre Gagné came. But um, yes, it's changed so much. And I think when you look at the scene now, it is actually dominated by homegrown mm. And the imported concepts, the celeb chefs, the franchises um, make up a much smaller cut of the or a smaller slice of the pie, actually. And I think that really is a sign of a matured dining scene now, because when people go out, they're now looking for these independent restaurants. And actually, and in a lot of cases, you don't even have to go into a hotel because the licensed ones operate from licensed areas as yeah. well. And also, according to a new report by uh, the Dubai Department of Economy and Tourism, Dubai now is the second most densely populated city by restaurants worldwide. (laughs) Do you know how many restaurants we actually have here? The last I heard was 19,000 about a year ago. Actually, that report says 13,000 for Dubai. This is Dubai. Um, But I'm sure there are actually a lot more if you count all the little tiny sort of mom and pop shops um, in in Dira and Bar Dubai. So so I went through some of your um, handpicked list from your, you know, your annual review of all your favorite restaurants here. And I just wanted to pick a few that I generally can relate to because I've been to and and why you decided to pick these and put them in there. So the first one was the Diva Bay Oyster Shack in Jamira. It's so cute. Tell, tell me why you like it. Yes, again, it's, it's, 
obscure. So I, I love to support restaurants, especially when it comes to the unlicensed ones, because mm. they tend to be smaller and backed by local money. So the investment tends to be the owner's own investment rather than a big sort of restaurateur behind it. But this one's wonderful because it is a shack. It is Dubai style, so it's a very nicely designed shack. It's right on the beach. You can catch the sunset. And there's great parking because you do have to enter the hotel if you want to park. You can access it from the beach as well, which Mm. is great. Um, And it serves oysters, both raw and and cooked, as well as a few other things like local salmontini salmon. Yeah, and I think it's just um, it's just a breath of fresh air. I and agree. I agree. Something simple. It can be quite expensive though, because you need a lot of oysters to fill you up. But but you know, I remember there were times when we did get them on the show, and she said to me, "Oh, we've got like a certain discount on these days at certain times, so you need to look out because they actually do do yeah. that occasionally." Yeah, they do happy oyster hours. Yeah. Oh, it is a beautiful place, like you said, sunset time. Now, one of my favourites for the past four years, not only do I love this place, I go to the one on Wassel Road, it's called Mama Esh. It's because for that area, price-wise and the quality of food, I just think it's amazing. And I, and I just love that it's so, like, understated. So why is that on your list? Um, yeah, and firstly, it's also Palestinian as well. And I have been hugely supporting all those restaurants over the last, few months but Mamash actually I prefer the the location in Meadows Village because whilst you still have to queue there on a weekend you can pop to Boone next door for coffee whilst you're waiting whereas when you go to the one on our Wassel Road you're just standing outside in your car yeah it's true and and another favorite one of mine which I literally was at last week is Blue Pizzeria against overlooking the fisherman's oh my goodness uh, tell everyone, tell everyone about this because literally they only have a handful only of pizzas. Six pizzas. I know on the menu. That's how but, good they are. You know, it's great. Do you remember when we had the cupcake craze a few years oh, ago? Oh yes, I remember. But, um, there was one on uh, Jamira Beach Road. I used to go to all the time. Well, actually, Dahlia. It's Dahlia. Dahlia. That was Dahlia, it. That, um, who's um, massive on Instagram now, and. Um, yeah, because they specialise in one thing yeah. and they don't veer away from it. And I think that's what's fantastic about Blue. A little bit like what we said with the Oyster Shack. Yeah. But Blue will only do pizzas and they will only do six. Um, they And they are Neapolitan pizzas, which means that if you're a big fan of the, um, the cornicione and the crust being really robust, like pit fires, for instance, you mm. might not like Blue Blue's pizza because essentially you can fold it up fold it roll it up and eat it which is the sign that it is uh, neapolitan pizza it's cooked at a much higher temperature than the roman style pizzas but but Um, i I absolutely love going to a restaurant and there's very little on the menu i don't like ones with big menus i am with you punam when i am reviewing menus and deciding where i'm going to go and review um if i see a, a large menu i'll ditch it I yeah. just, uh, it's, you know, I don't want to spend hours choosing, even though because of what I do, I actually pretty much decide at home what I'm going to eat before I go out. I might be steered slightly by the waiter, but um, essentially, but, you know, no one wants to spend hours in a restaurant, especially if you're socializing with people, you're there for the conversation. Mm. You don't want to spend hours glaring at a menu. I know. And I, and I do think when there's less on the menu, it means you're focused on each individual dish more to make it really good. 
yeah, and it's easier to manage their costs as well. Yeah. And uh, another one which has been there for years, I remember the Bastakia one, which I think is still there, the Arabian Tea House. Ah, uh, yes. And you know there's one on uh, the Burj Al Arab yeah. Yeah, yes, but, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not oh, yes, there is. You're right. I walked past it the other day. But the Basakir yeah. one is different because of the atmosphere. Yeah, of course it is. I always take visitors there and you have to wait a little bit for a table. But it's it's just fantastic. Now, OK, that does have a big menu. Yeah, yeah. Let, OK, that's looking at the door. I just like the oh. atmosphere. I really do. Yeah, 100%. And actually, the food is very good. The bread, mm. the, the tenor bread, mm. you eat that frankly um also just finally because i'm indian i have to bring this up and it has been discussed already on the station um we're talking about who invented the butter chicken now you and me were having a laugh over text the other day about this um so when i grew up everybody and i'm sure a lot of indians out there will agree with me nobody called anything butter chicken in a household i'm a punjabi we don't say that you might say murgmakni which is the indian version but yeah. but i think it's a very western given name and now there's a disagreement about who created it and i said to samantha i don't care who created it my grandmother and my ancestors probably been cooking it for hundreds of years so what what is the argument going on yeah i mean there's two restaurants in delhi that are claiming um to have the right um, uh, to have created the original tikka masala recipe, which is what we know as as, as butter chicken. Mm. Now, um, uh, what's interesting is uh, the reason for the di- di- disagreement is because they were both partners in the original restaurant and then they split and, and the second guy opened another restaurant. But actually, when I saw this, I was like, Hang on, didn't the British invent it? Well, it was actually in Scotland. If you remember, actually, the guy um, that owned um, an Indian restaurant in Scotland, he actually passed away, sadly, just over a year ago. And as a result, there was a lot of press around it. But he actually brought butter chicken to the UK. And it is kind of recognised as as the unofficial national dish. But, you know, but I just, I'm sorry, I find it all odd. I mean, we, we, like, my parents came there to England before him. They were making so-called butt chicken. It's just whoever wants to say, I've put it on the menu. We don't know. You know what? I was saying to you, actually, because you're Greek Cypriot, you should just do what the dad did in my big fat Greek wedding. Butter chicken is Greek. That's what you should be telling everybody. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, yeah, that's sort of a thing. But also, if you know, things like the pavlova, there's yeah. always disagreement as to whether, was it the Aussies or was it the Kiwis that invented But actually, you know what? It's Syrian origin. You see, I don't care where anything is uh, from as long as it tastes good. That's all I care about. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. And uh, I think the more... The more cultures that embrace it and put their own twist on it. Yeah, exactly. Samantha, it has been a lovely pleasure. I haven't spoken to you for ages. And hopefully next time you'll cancel your meetings and come in the studio. I will do. Okay, Okay. my darling. All right. Take care. Thank you very much. Happy eating and happy reviewing this weekend. Thank you. (laughs) Bye, love. Bye. Make sure you tune in every Friday to Farmer's Kitchen from 2 p.m.